Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a gay BYU student, my friend Bradley Talbot. Welcome to the podcast, Bradley. Thank you. Bradley is someone I've known on social media for a while. I've crossed paths with him at BYU, and um, he's just somebody I've admired and look up to and has a powerful story to share. So I've learned that every story is unique and needed and different, and I think you'll find as you listen to Bradley's story the same the same um, thing about his story. Bradley is, as I mentioned, gay. He's a BYU student. He's a senior graduating in psychology. He'll graduate in April of 2021. He'd like to then eventually go to grad school, um, be in criminal psychology. Um, he grew up, grew up in Pleasant Grove, which is um, a city in Utah County. He served a mission in Canada. Canada, Winnipeg. He has been an EFY counselor um, in Provo, Arizona, and Florida. And I always admire um, EFY counselors and all they do for the for others, as well as his mission service. Bradley's really involved in the queer is the term we use um, often, or the LGBT community at BYU. He started the Color of the Campus effort. We'll talk more about that and just has been doing a lot um, to help bring understanding to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Bradley would love to stay in the church and participate as much as he can. He would like to also marry a man, and he will share um, why he wants to do both of those things in this podcast. And, and my goal in these podcasts is just to bring us together as the same human family and not find ways to divide us but find ways to unify us even in our differences. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to have Bradley on the podcast. Is that okay for an introduction, Bradley? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Talk about, um, do you want to talk about pre-mission and just your journey um, being gay pre-mission? Did you talk to anybody about it? And and just kind of share with us that chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I feel like looking backward, I can identify... Um, moments or times in my life where hmm, maybe I'm gay, um, starting around 14, but I never allowed myself to really entertain those thoughts or accept any of that until I was on my mission. So pre-mission, I didn't really have a lot of experience. I never told anyone um, about any of it and just kept it to myself and even kept it from myself. <laughs> so I, I didn't know. Explain that term you just used, kept it from yourself. Um, it's really scary and intimidating to come to terms with being a sexual minority or a gender minority. And so I think intuitively I knew what people would think of me. I knew what I would think of me because I had been told all these different things growing up um, from being at church and from family members, from friends. And so subconsciously, I knew what that would mean. And um, this was only a few years ago, but I feel like a lot has changed since then. So there wasn't as much acceptance back then and didn't want that to be real. And so I just denied it and refused to allow that to even become a thought. And if it ever crossed my mind, I always... <laughs> I convinced myself in a lot of ways that I just wanted an older brother and that's why I was looking at other guys was because I admired them and I wanted something like that because I'm the oldest. Um, 
But and maybe that was true to an extent because it would be nice to have an older brother. Sure. But I never wanted an older sister. <laughs> so I think it was just something that I used to convince myself of why I was feeling the way that I was. Tell us about Winnipeg geographically for anybody that doesn't know the mission boundaries of that mission. Just introduce that to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mission, I, th- I think it's one of the largest. I'm thinking it is too. It's very big. It's central Canada. And so from the state's side, it's Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. That whole stretch. Um, it covers all of Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and then part of Ontario. And there was one point in my mission where I got transferred from the farthest east to the farthest west, and it took about three days. <laughs> wow. It was about 22-ish hours of driving. Wow. How far north does it go? Is there any boundary to the north? There's nothing There's above no boundary. you. It no. just goes to the north. It, <laughs> it goes, goes to all the way to the North Pole. Um, we don't send missionaries all the way up there. I think the farthest we go up is Thompson, which is about eight hours wow. from the border. Um, we used to send people clear, clear up there back in, I don't know how long ago, several years ago. Um, and I think you had to take either a train or a plane to get there because the roads aren't there. Um, but there's just not many people at all. Um, and so they don't send missionaries up that far. It's too, um, hostile of an environment (laughs) to even live there for a lot of ways. And so Technically, it does go all the way up. There's no boundary, but wow, um, we don't send missionaries that far up. Thanks for your service on your mission. Talk about, um, did you come out to anybody on your mission? Mm-hmm. The first person I ever came out to was one of my mission companions. Um, and then shortly after, I came out to my mission president. And a few months after that, I finally came out to my parents over an email. Um, which was interesting because I didn't get to see their immediate reaction because they had a week to kind of process it. Um, I remember my mom was told me that she knew and she was kind of expecting it. And I had said that in my email, like, I'm sure you know. And my dad was like, no, I had no idea. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting because um, I thought that they both knew, but maybe, I mean, I guess I didn't even know. <laughs> um, and so they responded and had some time to um, give a thoughtful response to me. And I've always felt like they've been really supportive and loving and understanding. And um, it's hard to figure things out for myself. And so we've all had to learn different ways of thinking, of going about it. And so it's been a journey for all of us. Why did you come out to your companion? And how did that go? And any, anything you want to share, you're welcome to share. So, and maybe I am missing some details of this, but as I've, because I didn't uh, write it down because I didn't really want to remember it. <laughs> um, but from what I remember is the church had just come out with the uh, Mormon and gay website. And I was fascinated by this because I had never seen anything like this. This was a brand new narrative that the church was sharing about um, queer individuals. And um, so I started watching these stories and listening to them and reading up on them. And I think that was kind of what made me realize, oh, this is me. I relate to this. I think I'm gay. (laughs) And I finally 
maybe not necessarily came to terms with that, but stopped denying it. Um, and then my companion, because you have to be aware of each other, he was noticing that I was watching these a lot. And he was just like, why are you, maybe he didn't use the word obsessed, but why are you so interested in watching these videos and hearing these stories? And I was just like, well, it's just interesting. It's new. It's something that I haven't seen before. Um, but eventually he's just like, okay, like if you have something you want to say, <laughs> you can say it. And finally I was like, you know, I'm finally coming to terms with, okay, I think this is who I am. It would be nice to tell someone about it. And also I was kind of embarrassed that I was watching it so much and didn't really know like, okay, maybe I should just tell him. So I wrote him a note telling him and um, just like gave it to him and like went in the other room and cried and <laughs> didn't really know what to expect. It's brave. It was really scary. <laughs> and he's, he was pretty supportive at first. Um, he came in and like comforted me and let me know like it's okay, like things are going to be okay. And um, I actually feel like this experience is actually kind of common um, because even though he was very loving and trying his best, he did still do a lot of things that were unintentionally hurtful, um, which I feel like happens a lot with members, is they fully believe that they are being loving and supportive, but not to the extent that they think they are. And they actually are causing a lot of pain. Um, because later he started... Um, asking me questions of, well, have you told anyone else? Have you told the mission president? Are you sure you should even be on a mission? Like Things like that, that he was just genuinely concerned about. Um, but now I'm realizing that wasn't very appropriate to ask um, because it's up to me to decide who to tell and um, why wouldn't I be worthy to be a missionary? I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> um, but he kind of made me feel guilty for not telling my mission president. And so I did. And that was also terrifying because I thought I was going to get sent home just for being gay. Luckily, my mission president didn't and was supportive of me and um, helped me through that. And I was seeing a therapist while I was on my mission, actually, um, for being depressed because that's very common in my mission because <laughs> it's so cold and dark. Um, and he suggested I start talking to my therapist about this. And I never did because I didn't want to. Um, but he was trying to get me to get some help with that and told me to not tell anyone else because missions are hard enough and you shouldn't have to add to the weight of being a missionary by making you making a mission companion feel like uncomfortable or whatever it may be. Um, so that was also kind of hurtful. But Why? Why was that hurtful when he told you don't tell anybody? It was hurtful because I desperately wanted to tell people. I didn't want to feel so alone. And it felt like he was telling me that other people, their comfort level is more important than mine. That's helpful for me. That's helpful. Um, because it, it's very lonely to feel like you're different. It's even more lonely to be told to stay alone, <laughs> I guess. And that, like, especially with, because I hear this a lot with children, like, oh, don't, 
don't tell young kids about gay people. It'll confuse them. And it's like, well, if you can teach children about eternal marriage, you can teach them about other kinds of marriage. You can teach them about other kinds of relationships. It's really not going to confuse them. It's not going to influence them in any way. Um, I was raised by straight people and I, that didn't hold. (laughs) I still turned out gay. So it's, it's just kind of fear of, oh, we don't want children. And I feel like a lot of that is actually too um, attributed to the uh, narrative that being gay is just about sex. And, oh, we don't teach young children about sex because that's inappropriate. And so we shouldn't teach about being gay because that's, those go hand in hand and they don't. Um, we need to learn more ways of teaching about being gay is really just about having connection and family and love and having someone to confide in and support and be there for you in wholesome, uplifting ways that we all want and has nothing to do with sex. Um, It just has to do with being wanted and finding intimacy with someone. Talk about a couple questions come to mind. If I, if, what would have been the best thing for the mission president to say? Could it have been something like Elder Talbot? Um, I trust you to follow the spirit to know if you should share with other people that you're gay. And I'll just leave that up to you. If you feel like you should or should talk to other people about that, or I mean, I'm just, what would have mm-hmm. been the best thing for him to say um, now knowing you were gay? Honestly, I think that would have been one of the best because you shouldn't feel pressured to come out. Um, I would have felt uncomfortable if he had told me to tell everyone and make sure all my companions do know um, because that's also a little uncomfortable for me. Um, so I feel like that is the best way to respond is trust in other people's agency and what they feel is right for them. Um, and I was very spiritual. I still am. And I feel like I have a good connection with God and the Holy Ghost. And so I know what to do and what to say in a lot of ways. And so trust me to know who I should come out to and who I should talk to about this. Um, I would have even liked to hear something along the lines of um, even telling investigators and members and letting members know since I've been home for my mission um, and kept in contact with a lot of people and have been pretty open about my experiences. I've had lots of investigators and members come out to me and say, I've never even told anyone else, but I'm bisexual. I'm transgender. I'm this, this, and this. And they would have never said that if I hadn't come out to them and I didn't come out to them on my mission. Now they have that support, but I I wish I could have been able to be more of a help to them and gone help in return when I was on my mission. It's interesting. Some thoughts come into my mind about obviously teaching um, LGBTQ investigators. And it sounds like you had some, you didn't know at the time and you may, and I also hear of um, LGBTQ investigating the church and in a lot of ways our restored doctrine draws them to the church and there's much good and beauty here, even though it can be difficult for sexual minorities and gender minorities. But I thought, as you were saying that, if what if we normalized sexual minorities in a way that um, a straight missionary would have straight companions at times and LGBTQ companions at times, it would be a non-event. 
mm-hmm. they would also look at those times with LGBT companions or splits with LGBT companions and say, this is going to help us reach people that we can't reach otherwise mm-hmm. and bring more into the body of Christ because I have this, I have an LGBT companion right now that can relate to other people or perhaps the investigator straight, but they have LGBTQ family members and to hear somebody in the church at LBG2 could really help them. Mm-hmm. And so right now I would assume it would be hard to open up that and open up about that part of you with an investigator, but how fascinating to sort of get to that point where that's just, I, and the reason I share that is I think God normalized this mm-hmm. when he created people like you, the way he <laughs> created you. So I think we might say, well, that's not a normal thing to do. My feeling is God's normalized this. Um, Mm -hmm. because how he created you, I think, is how he meant for you to be created. So I think we ought to accept the reality of that fact and use it to our advantage to bring people into the church. Mm -hmm. I think that's... I don't know how you feel about all that. No, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think that's so interesting. I'm a firm believer that part of the gathering of Israel includes queer saints. Cool. And until we can learn how to welcome them in, because we are doing better, things are changing. Um, we're still not quite there yet. There's a lot of progress to be made. And so until we can fully welcome them, I don't think the second coming is anytime near. Um, we, that's part of the gathering of Israel. And I feel like that's part of my responsibility and calling is to learn how to welcome in those LGBTQ plus individuals into the gospel um, and show that it might be hard, but there's a place for you, whatever you want, whether that's... Um, getting married, um, being celibate, uh, mixed orientation marriage. I think all of those have their own challenges, but um, I think all of those should be welcomed and valued, um, especially the getting married in a same-sex marriage. I feel like that's the least uh, welcomed and accepted right now. If you were preparing training videos or even speaking at the MTCs, let's just say you had a chance to speak to every missionary um, <laughs> leaving in all of 2020, maybe that's more realistically doing it through a training video, and you're, and you're speaking to straight missionaries, preparing them for the possibility and perhaps the likelihood, given how many companions have, that one will be queer. And you want to prepare them for that. And so that if somebody, and so perhaps they can come out and have it be a positive experience or even even they can sort of say things um, that make it easier for someone to come out. Just talk. What, what would you say in that video? I'd say a lot of things. <laughs> I would love to talk about um, the concept of being comfortable with the uncomfortable and recognizing that growth comes from being uncomfortable. And in those situations, um, it does need to be normalized. It does need to be more common. Um, But there's going to be things that you'll learn and that you'll feel that are going to be very uncomfortable. Um, For example, recognizing that, oh, you used to be very homophobic. You used to say and do things that were very harmful. And you didn't realize it, but you know better. You need to do better now. Um, And that's on all of us. Um, No one isn't exempt from that. I am also um, still dealing with a lot of internalized homophobia. And we have to just recognize that the context of growing up in the church 
and being a part of a faith tradition that is um, in a lot of ways against uh, sexual and gender minorities um, is rooted in homophobia and has teachings such as, oh, as long as you don't act on it. And, oh, when you die, you'll be changed. And, oh, we all make sacrifices. And I love you, but. And um, love the sinner, hate the sin. Those are all narratives that we've been taught um, that are wrong. (laughs) They're hurtful. Um, And you're going into these companionships with these um, implicit bias that you have to learn to overcome. And so recognize that it's okay if you realize that, okay, some of these things that I've believed aren't, aren't correct. And a lot of them still haven't been corrected by the church. They're still taught in the church. Um, and so that can be a little uh, uncomfortable <laughs> dealing with that cognitive dissonance of, oh, I'm preaching for this church. And yet now I'm learning that the church has said and done things even today that aren't really what I believe in. And so how, do, how can I be a missionary? Um, well, you have to focus on Christ. You have to focus on the atonement and you have to be able to overcome those things and work with God through those things um, and not let it turn you away, not let it like impact your testimony. Like, oh, I, the church is either 100% true or 100% false. It's like, no, it's the gospel is true, but the church is fallible and that's okay. We all are. Um, in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of inspiring to me when I f- notice and learn um, about mistakes because in the church and church leadership because it comforts me in knowing that, okay, if God can take this individual and allow them to make this mistake, even drastic mistake, then God can work with me as well because I'm, I'm no better. I make the same mistakes. I am just as problematic. <laughs> And harmful. Um, but that's the beauty of the gospel is the atonement will cover it. The atonement will fix it. We just have to be willing to grow. Talk more about preparing somebody for somebody coming out on their mission. Um, I, I was a missionary in the late seventies, Bradley, and I, I can barely remember any of this being discussed, but I remember, you know, we were, I think, I remember some talk about, you know, if someone's gay, you, you just, you hit them, you know, you, <laughs> that's what you do. Um, and I cringe when I, I never had a gay companion. I, so I never had to cross that bridge with anybody, but I was aware of this narrative that has obviously improved, but why would, a, why if I, you know, I'm in the MTC, I'm straight, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be fearful of a gay companion. Towards the straight companion? Yeah, or the straight companion shouldn't fear a gay companion. And, I, and I'm, it's part of this narrative that when I think about gay people, I think about sex and, mm-hmm. and you helping straight people to reframe it in a different context. Yeah. Um, I think some of that goes down to consent. And understanding that um, as a gay man growing up in the church, I was always surrounded by other boys in like contexts of changing in front of them, sleeping next to them on campouts, um, 
going to the bathroom next to them, like um, being pretty close to people that I could potentially be attracted to, but never advancing on them and learning very early on that I can control myself (laughs) and you can too. So don't reduce me down to someone that is primal and lustful and has no agency over what I desire. Um, And also recognize that I'm not attracted to every man, so it doesn't mean I'm going to be attracted to you. Um, Don't pride yourself on that, I guess. (laughs) Like, it's really not that scary. If you're comfortable being uh, surrounded by women with the potential of them being attracted to you, why would you be uncomfortable with a man being attracted to you? Um, It's kind of the same. And that's helpful. And I think it's helpful for you to just to reframe that up for potential missionary companions and just for all of us so that we have a better way of processing that. Um, So thank you for that. Um, And thank you again for your service on the mission. And um, what would you say, here's a question that you probably get, I get a lot. It's from from straight people saying, you know, I want to go serve a mission, but I'm not sure I believe everything the church teaches about marriage between man and a wife, there's a, I'm paraphrasing these comments. Mm -hmm. Um, I support that doctrine, but I also recognize for, I want equality. I want the same benefits for my gay friends. So I'm uncomfortable that there's no place for them in a, in a likewise um, relationship. And I'm not sure I should go on a mission if I can't fully teach every part of our gospel. Um, how do you, and I'm sure you get those questions, how do you, what mm-hmm. advice do you give to potential missionaries with that concern? Well, I think there's a misconception just right at the very beginning of that, that you have to uh, fully believe everything to serve a mission. The requirements in DNC 4 is if you have a desire, you're called. So if you want to serve a mission, you qualify. That's really all that you need. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to believe everything. You just have to have a desire to spread the gospel. And um, in regards to marriage, I think it's interesting to take note of the times when the standard of marriage has changed three times within the church already. Um, Arranged marriages are the most common form of marriage throughout history that we don't really practice anymore. I don't know if we ever did within the Restoration. Um, we tried to do that and our family didn't work out. Well. <laughs> yeah. People marry for love now. Um, <laughs> they don't marry, uh, arrange marriages as much anymore, at least in a Western civilization. The ironic thing is we wanted to marry off our oldest daughter to a young man in her ward who's gay. Mm. Um, and that's always been kind of a joke between the two families now, but I interrupted yeah. you. Go ahead, <laughs> no, you're fine. Bradley. Um, there's that example. There's also interracial marriages were banned within the church, um, and then polygamy. So there's three examples of when marriage has changed uh, within the church. And so that's not necessarily to say that it will change again, that equality will happen. I have that hope and that belief that it will, because otherwise I don't really have much. Um, That's all that I have to cling to. Um, But if you want that equality, I don't think that is contradictory to wanting to serve 
a mission. And I think that's a great example of being able to grow and be a little more nuanced and teach those things. You can talk about those. I mean, the missionary lessons don't really ever talk about marriage. Um, it's about baptism and the atonement and you need to emphasize those things. And if you're faced with questions that are difficult, I mean, just bear your testimony on what you do know and what you want to change and believe. And honestly, we need those people more than ever because things aren't going to change unless people want it. That's a great answer. It's a better answer that I've been giving. I love for you pointed to DNC four and the doctrine of that, of that section. And I give, the only thing I'd add to what you said is often I tell prospective missionaries, I say, in the moment, I think the Spirit will help you know what to say. So don't not serve a mission because you're uncomfortable about a future conversation. Mm-hmm. I think in the moment, um, you'll know how to handle a difficult question and the Spirit will help you. And I also believe you'll have the ability to, like you say, to bring people to Christ and help them feel the love and hope of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is a missionary's job. So I, I love missionary serving. I'm glad you served. And um, I, I think serving with just the way you framed it up is exactly accurate, and people can do that. Um, and I love the word hope you use. Um, I'm circling back just to one thought. I spoke at a, at a, at a church uh, event um, in Atlanta a few years ago and about LGBTQ and they brought an investigator and she was interested in joining the church, but sort of um, the LGBTQ issue was kind of her stumbling block, quote unquote, to finally accepting baptism. And I don't know if she ever got baptized or not, Bradley, but I'm going back to, you know, LGBTQ or queer missionaries. What if she had you know, one of her missionaries that was LGBTQ. I think, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure she was straight. She was just sensitive to this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think she was millennial age, like many men in age. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if one of the missionaries were queer and could talk to her about why he or she was a part of this church? Um, even though that person maybe felt there's more work to do in this space, but they're willing to be a part of this mm-hmm. church. And so I love what you... You know, I love where we could maybe go in this space. And you younger ones that are, I mean, there's a missionary that I write um, that is out on his mission in a way that his mission president has asked him to do training meetings as a gay missionary in the wards. Um, An area leader has become aware of him and he's part of his mission assignment now instead of don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to get pretty tenderhearted is to talk about it. And this part of him is being used in a way to help us come together as the body of Christ because the local leaders have recognized the need to do better in this space and look at his presence in this mission as a blessing to that mission and an answer to prayer. And that gives me hope. And I realize that just from your age to his age, um, that seems like that wasn't ever possible. You're 20, how old? I'm 23. It's only four years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think more of you that are pre-mission age are leaving on your mission and being much more public about being queer and taking that right with you into the mission field. And you have better support to do that um, as people around you are learning better. And that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I 
I think it's also um, important to talk about things like the 13th article of faith and how one of the most exciting parts of the restoration to me is that we are still restoring. It wasn't a single event that happened in 1820. Like we are continually restoring truth and we look forward to more and more things being revealed. And so this isn't a passive work that we're doing. We're very active and things are going to change. Um, as part of the fundamental doctrine of our religion. Talk about when I meet with people and Bradley and I talked about this before we started recording, I've learned to ask LGBTQ Latter-day Saints their level of anger <laughs> towards the church, towards um, other, just there's a, there can be, and I've just learned to sit with people in their pain and anger. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of my baptism covenant is just to hear that and accept it and sit with them in that and validate it. It often is helpful for them just to be heard, (laughs) to Mm -hmm. be able to move on. I'm not a therapist, but I've learned to do that. And we did that for just a little bit, but talk about the things that make you angry. Um, Because some of the things you mentioned aren't necessarily doctrine related. Um, There are other things. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to talk about because I hear this a lot from people. They ask me, why are you so angry? Why do you get so caught up in these things? And I post a lot on social media talking about injustices that I experience and the church history that is that can be pretty dark. Um, and people telling me, oh, don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on those things. We don't do that anymore. Why are you being so angry? You're just stirring up contention. And it makes me more angry because I wasn't going into those things angry. I just want to educate people. I want to talk about these things because going to your question, what frustrates me the most is the silence. And when I'm just being dismissed and ignored, um, I know that mistakes have happened and I'm okay with that because we all make mistakes. That's part of the human experience. And I know that the church has made mistakes that doesn't make me not believe in it anymore. That's not a hang-up for me. What frustrates me is when I feel like I'm being minimized and not worthy of being talked about because they don't address those mistakes. They don't root them out. They don't even acknowledge or apologize for the things that they've done. Um, that's what makes me angry. And are there th- So that's kind of a historical anger that affects Mm -hmm. you, the church teachings, perhaps on blacks, on LGBTQ and what we've Mm -hmm. said, and that creates anger. Are there things we're saying right now about you being an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint that make you angry? When people tell me I can't do both. (laughs) Explain that. Um, I get enough shame and anger and uh, people being upset for being gay. Um, and in a lot of ways, and sometimes more, I get more hate and, uh, people frustrated with me for being too LDS and telling me, oh, you can never be a part of that church. And I've even had people tell me you are contributing to my trauma and my oppression just by calling yourself a member. And that hurts me because I'm clearly trying to do both and I'm trying to make things better. Um, 
but why are you telling me that I can't do both? I love the faith tradition. I love being a member of the church. I love Christ. I love God. I love all of those things. And I don't want to just give that up. Um, and I know it's hard and there really isn't a lot of space for that right now, but that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create that space. And so that's what makes me really angry and upset is when people tell me, oh, you'll never be able to, the church will never change. You'll be excommunicated. You'll start hating the church, like all these different things. And I just don't think that's true. It's a good, I, I just, thanks for being honest. And this is the most complex issue in the church. Um, and I can kind of say that just as an outsider, but I can step away from the most complex issue in the church at times and just kind of step in and step back. And I'm stepping in right now during a podcast and have and, but you, Bradley, can't do that. Mm-mm. You, this, these two things are a part of you 24 seven, your, your testimony, your love, your desire to stay in the church, whatever vocabulary and being gay. And those are two fundamental parts of you that, um, and so I recognize it's the double bind that I've heard other guests talk about is you want to accept and embrace both parts of that about you. And you want both of those to be part of your life. Mm-hmm. Talk about just, you hope to marry a man. How do you hope we treat you, <laughs> um, as you, as you go down that road and listeners, I think you've heard me talk about this. I don't invite people to go down that road. Um, I will always invite people to stay in our church and follow its teachings, but I let people Mm self-determine what path is best for them and then I'll support them. And I won't secretly hope that fails for them. (laughs) If they feel like that's their path and Bradley feels his path is to marry a man, I'm just going to leave that at the Savior's feet and, and be happy for Bradley and just hope that that brings them the happiness that he wants to have. And so talk about just... I can't remember my original question now. I think it's just talk about marrying a man and why you want to do that. And stay mm-hmm. as I think you said how it. you want, how I want people to be, that's to treat it. me. Yes, do that one. Um, well, I think to provide some context to that, that decision that I have made to get married to a man um, took quite a few years um, after coming to terms with me being gay. I always just told myself, okay, I'm gay, but I can still get married to a woman. Um, and then there was times in my life I was like, okay, maybe I'll just be celibate. Um, and it was actually about two years ago or maybe just a year ago. I can't quite remember, but I was in my bed listening to music, trying to fall asleep. And I started thinking about, um, how nice it would be to just have someone like close to me and started daydreaming about raising a family and having like family home evening, but with a husband and reading the Book of Mormon with my children and my husband and like just kind of entertaining that thought and just kind of being overwhelmed and thinking like, why, why is everyone telling me that all that I want is sex when I want something greater? I want something more family oriented and more wholesome. And uh, I want someone to build me up spiritually. And um, I, I mean, I guess I, this was kind of a prayer in a way, maybe not formally, but um, was really contemplating this and then had this feeling of 
you know, if that's what you want, you can have it. Um, it's going to be unique, I guess. Um, there's not, I kind of got the feeling of there's not going to be many other people doing that. So you're going to feel a little alone, but I support that. And I want you to do that. Um, and that was a real turning point for me because that was the first time where I finally felt like God wanted me to do this. He wasn't just okay with it. He wanted me to because I had finally realized that my sexuality was a way that I could come closer to Christ and it was going to lift me up and I was going to lift up some other man in the same way um, that until that point, I had kind of just thought, oh, I guess it's just something that we just have these desires and this is what it's going to be. Um, but I realized in this moment that, no, I can use this to bring someone closer to Christ and they can bring me closer to Christ. And that's a righteous desire that I feel that I have. And God wants me to do that. Thanks for being so honest in that very personal moment. Um, what would you say to someone that says you, you've just got obviously bad personal revelation, Bradley, or <laughs> you've wanted so much something that you've just, that you've caused that just to become, you've willed that into reality for you mm-hmm. or you've, and I'm sure you've heard this. I have. <laughs> or you've been deceived by Satan and this is exactly the way Satan works. How, how do you feel when you hear those things and what, th- and what, just share with our listeners that. Yeah, I think going back to that original question that you asked, I didn't quite answer. Like, I want people to validate my personal revelation and be okay with me living my life, I guess. Um, it, it is something that you don't hear a lot. Um, and I've also had those very same thoughts of, oh, is this actually from God? Is this really revelation? Is this really what God wants me to do because that's not something that is taught. That's not something that's accepted. It kind of does go directly against what the church teaches. Um, But I have turned to scripture and I actually remember listening to a talk by uh, President Oaks just recently. I think it was maybe in April or it was October. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, Talked about fruits of the spirit and how we know things to be true based on the consequence of them. If it brings you closer to Christ, it's always a good thing. If it brings you away from Christ, it's never a good thing. And that's kind of the standard. That's the measuring stick. If it's wholesome and pure and good, and it's going to bring you closer to your heavenly father, Satan is never going to do that. He's never going to try to convince you to do anything close to that. He's going to tell you to do something selfish and do something prideful and do something carnal. And that is kind of the narrative we have with gay people is that all, that's all that they want. Um, but my perspective has shifted towards, I don't want to marry a man because I want my desires to be fulfilled and I want sex and all of those things. I want to marry a man because I want to bring him closer to Christ. How can that be something from Satan? Um, I don't think it can. <laughs> um, that's a good segment. Um, pretty thoughtful guy, Bradley. And I just 
I, my listeners have heard me say this. My personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to judge somebody else's personal revelation. So I just honor Bradley's personal revelation. And yeah, it is, in, it is in conflict with the doctrine of our church. And I just hold both of those in my brain at the same time. <laughs> it's a paradox. I do too. <laughs> and I've just learned to honor and teach and invite others to follow the doctrine of our church and to honor Bradley's personal revelation and just leave this all at the Savior's feet. Now, will someday um, we have new, per, new church-wide revelation that, that sort of unlocks this paradox? I don't know, listeners. I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I don't know the answer to that question. People ask me, well, what do you think? And I just I honestly don't know. Um, I do believe in continuous revelation. Um, I believe, you know, all these things that President Nelson is doing. And, and so for listeners or people like Bradley that hope a doctrine or policy changes in our church, um, I think we shouldn't like disqualify them or make them feel, you know, unfaithful Latter-day Saints. I think it's okay for people to have hope that things change. I get uncomfortable when you form movements or organizations or campaigns to demand change. That's what does that's not comfortable for me. So that's just how way I navigate it, listeners, um, in this complex space as I'm trying to do everything I can to um, find common ground to bring us together as the same human family. Any thoughts on that, Bradley? Um, it but, reminds me... And if you don't agree with anything, feel free to let our <laughs> listeners know. I mean, I I get uncomfortable with those things as well because I don't like contention. I don't like uh, conflict. I don't like confrontation, which is a little maybe hypocritical because I do form things like Color the Campus and I bring uh, things to light on my social media and um, make an appearance on a lot of different platforms that um, kind of suggest that I'm trying to like advocate for all these changes. And yes, I want those to happen, but I'm more focused about me and just making other people feel welcome. And so I'm more advocating for people to just feel comfortable doing what they want and what they feel is right. Um, and if the church doesn't change its stance, I'm okay with that because I am comfortable and uh, confident in my revelation and my relationship with God. And that is takes precedent over my relationship with the church. I think I mentioned this before we recorded that I view the church as my conduit to spirituality, but not the source. Um, it helps me and that's why I stay a member. That's why I like to be active is because it does bring a lot of peace and uh, comfort and joy into my life. Um, but the true source of all of that is Christ. Um, and I feel confident in where I stand with, with him and with my heavenly parents. Um, I was going to make a comment about something else you said. I don't remember. <laughs> it, it may come back to you. Um, what would you do if the church, if you got married to a man, and I don't, I think we've changed the vocabulary. We don't excommunicate people. We put membership restrictions or withdraw membership. Would you still come if you weren't a member or if you lost your membership? I would, yes. I have had to think about that a lot because I know that that's inevitable in some ways. If this is what I'm planning on doing, I have to face those consequences. 
And again, I um, still want to be, a, what's the word, a practicing member as much as I can. And maybe the formalities aren't there. Maybe I'm not allowed to visit the temple anymore. Maybe I'm not allowed to have a calling or use my priesthood. Um, but I'm okay making that sacrifice because we all have to be patient. We don't receive all the blessings in this life. Um, that's not kind of the purpose of this life. The purpose of this life is to come unto Christ. And so I still plan on attending church regularly, um, being as active as my bishop and stake president will let me. Maybe I can get some sort of calling or who knows. Um, and I want to raise children. And so I will have them study the Book of Mormon. We'll have family home evenings or whatever programs we have. Um, I would like them to be baptized um, and all of those same things as if I was a full-fledged member. I don't know how you do that. I really admire that. Um, to me, it's a sign of just your great spiritual maturity that even this church that doesn't have a full place for you or even might withdraw membership that you'd still want to be a part of it as much as you could, as much as you're allowed. And you believe in it so much that you want your own children raised in this church, potentially your membership would be withdrawn to be able to be members and be able to learn Book of Mormon stories and um, I just think it's a sign of your spiritual maturity and your character and your testimony of the church and, and just respect, man. I just, I hope whatever congregation you're in, even if you, we just always help you feel welcome and needed and, and use your talents the best way we can given current policy to help us become the body of Christ. And, I recognize that if we treat you really poorly on a consistent basis, it's likely you'll leave just for your own emotional health. Mm-hmm. And then it, your anger can go up and we can create really angry former Mormons the way we treat them. And so I hope that even if our policy and doctrine don't create a space for you, um, that we do everything we can in families and in local congregations to feel like you're needed. Mm-hmm. and belong and and so even your own kids can be a part of the church even if you don't have a place yeah and just recognize the sacrifice you're making to participate um in sort of having this box defined for you and you're just saying i'll i'll participate in the box that others are defining for me the best way i can mm-hmm. so thank you Talk about Color of the Campus. You started that at BYU, down in Provo, down being because I'm in Salt Lake listeners and I'm always um, visually, <laughs> it's an ongoing debate at our family if BYU is down from Salt Lake, <laughs> but it's south of Salt Lake, so I use down. So anyway, talk about Color of the yeah. Campus that you started. So I started Color of the Campus back in September of 2019. Um, I was still, I hadn't even fully come out to a lot of, people just yet. Um, and I definitely did not have the, um, I guess, social media presence that I do. Um, 
I just was becoming more and more aware of this culture at BYU and saw this, particularly this one Instagram story of someone asking if people would feel comfortable having a gay roommate and what they would do. And the responses were heartbreaking. People were concerned about getting raped, about getting, um, being like a temptation to their, their roommate. Um, and just didn't want to have a gay roommate at all. And so I was frustrated <laughs> with this. And I was like, I need to do something to show that um, there are people at BYU um, that do love and support the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and what really like, kind of finalized it for me or solidified it was this final comment at the end of this Instagram story series or whatever it was that said, I was planning on coming out to my roommates until I saw this Instagram story and now I don't want to, I don't feel safe. And that was devastating to me. And I wanted to create a space to show that there are people here that you can come out to, will support you, will protect you, will be your friend, will love you. Um, and so I created Code of the Campus. It started out as just BYU. It's now expanded to all the CES schools. Um, I am graduating, but I still plan on running it. I'll have representatives at all of the schools like I do now um, to help continue this um, space that's focused more on allies, becoming better allies. Obviously, that can include people in the LGBTQ plus community because I'm still learning how to be a better ally to myself and to my uh, transgender siblings because I don't deal with any gender uh, dysphoria. Um, but that is an essential part of the LGBTQ plus community and other sexualities that I'm not a part of. And so we all need to learn how to be better allies. And that's what this space is for, to help um, educate us and create a space that is both queer affirming and faith inspiring. Um, because again, I feel like there's not a lot of space to do both. It's either one or the other. You either focus on your faith or you focus on your queer identity, but you can't have both. And I'm so against that. <laughs> I want there to be a space where people can do both and where people can feel loved and supported and protected in doing both. And so I do a lot of educational discussions and highlights on uh, different experiences within that context of um, being a queer member of a CES school and that all of them. So. Yeah. And I'm just looking at your Instagram page and include, encourage everybody to follow it, color the campus. And I have learned these rainbow colors. Um, I'm nearly 60. They've been triggering for me because it reminded me of things that made me uncomfortable regarding LGBTQ related issues. And maybe those were parades that whatever visual imagery that brought in my mind, but I just encourage listeners and maybe you're way ahead of me on this is to not look at the rainbow colors and then think of anything, but um, what we're doing to create inclusion for people that have a harder road um, and look at what Christ did in his personal ministry to help people that are on the margins feel included. So to me, I like this Brene Brown analogy where she talks about, you know, 
sort of the debate against Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. All lives matter, true, but not all lives need to be pulled back into moral full inclusion. And that's sort of a thought for why we need to work harder for Black lives because of the marginalization and the racism that they've experienced for decades. And I look at a similar situation with LGBTQ. Yes, all all of heavenly children's lives matter. We're all equally heavenly. But LGBTQ people have been a marginalized group and a demonized group for centuries. And so to me, when I look at the pride flag, it's, it's an attempt to bring them f- back into full moral inclusion and to honor my baptism covenants, to reach out to a group of people that has a harder road and do everything I can to support them. So to me, the pride colors aren't about rebellion or about turning away from God. It's actually doing what I'm supposed to do as, as a member of the church. And so I love everything you're doing with that. And I just invite listeners to look at the pride flag and look at this Instagram account and those colors. There's a seminary teacher in Utah County that has um, these colors in her office. She's been on the podcast and she just wants to signal to her students that she's safe. And so they will open up to her about everything in their lives in an appropriate way. Um, and, he, and then, and they have these discussions that Bradley's having so that more people can say the right things um, and not add to the burdens. Any more thoughts on that? Um, yeah, there's a couple things that I've thought of. I think um, one issue that I've run into with running this Color the Campus account is I have people in the LGBTQ plus community that um, are upset and tell me, oh, you can't. Uh, demand or um, not demand, you have to demand. Um, I said that backwards. You have to demand full allyship in these allies. And um, you can't create a space for uh, Latter-day Saints because they're not full allies because they still believe in a religion that discriminates against me. And I understand the concern with that, but it frustrates me a little bit that we have such high expectations for people that just don't understand, and it's not their fault that they don't understand. I've had to understand myself because I was forced to, because I live with this 24-7, and the alternative was hating myself. And so the color of the campus account is really a safe space for, especially if you want to just like message me privately. Um, I don't care where you are at. If you still believe things that I find offensive or harmful or damaging, it's still a space for you because we're all trying to do better. And to have such a high expectation level to even like begin this journey of allyship, I feel like is prideful because we as members of the LGBTQ plus community, we're not great allies either. <laughs> I have plenty of people that tell me that I'm not <laughs> a good person or that I'm not very supportive of them. And we're all just trying to do better. And so you don't become an ally just because you're a part of the community. It's a process for all of that. And that's what this page is dedicated to is helping people along that journey wherever you're at it's really needed and i just admire you doing it i'm glad you continue to keep it going and my guess is it will continue 
to grow and be needed. And it's an education tool and a community tool. And I think it's great. Talk about, um, this is sort of sensitivity training. If I'm a, if I'm a local leader or a professor on campus or someone that's talking about um, sexual minorities or gender minorities, um, what I might inadvertently do, <laughs> I'm giving someone the benefit of the doubt because I've done this sort of stuff, that would demonize um, this group of people that actually has a harder road. Um, any examples? And I'd love you to talk about pedophilia and how that is used in an inappropriate way sometimes in this conversation. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts about this. Um, I think we need to start off by recognizing that we do live in a society and a culture and a faith tradition that is rooted in a lot of discrimination and misconceptions and implicit bias and anything that we could say or that we want to believe could potentially be harmful um and so we have to like actively be aware of that to make sure that we are careful about what we say um one of my frustrations is when i feel like people don't change their vocabulary or change their behaviors unless I bring it up to them. Um, I have to explicitly talk about, okay, this, this, and this are issues and here's why. And I have to become like an expert in understanding for people to even take me seriously and then change. You should take some initiative and learn for yourself, okay, before I say this, before I talk about eternal marriage, before I talk about temples, before I talk about the afterlife, before I talk about any of these things, maybe I should evaluate um, where that's coming from. And if I'm just trying to um, do some mental gymnastics to make it make sense to me before actually being aware of it. Um, so going to your question, uh, specifically for things like when people mention pedophilia, I've had um, a lot of people compare me to um, a child molester, pedophile, um, a rapist, a murderer, um, all these different serious sins and say, oh, that's the same as being gay. Um, and it's not. Uh, being gay is an experience about love and connection. Um, something like pedophilia is just about sex. It's about lust and it is not a sexuality. It's a mental disorder. Um, it's not the same at all. <laughs> um, I, I just thought of this. There's been times where I've had conversations with people about um, marriage equality and how I want to get married and I want it to be recognized as a marriage and not just like a civil union. And they've been concerned, oh, well, if we do that, then what's going to stop us from allowing pedophiles to get married and bestiality and, and polygamy? and well, there's actually really a simple answer to that, and it's consent. Children cannot consent, and therefore they are not allowed to get married. Animals cannot consent, and so they're not going to get married. Uh, polygamy is really kind of just a financial issue with um, the government. It, it causes a lot of uh, questions and concerns about taxes and about insurance, and so that's why polygamy isn't really a isn't legal 
least in the United States. Um, but I mean, we practiced polygamy, so no one's really concerned about that. But um, uh, same-sex marriage is not the same as any of that. It's equality, and it's um, very similar to opposite-sex marriage. Um, and it's there's no concern with pedophilia and bestiality being legalized because that's not the same at all. There's no consent there. That to me is a very helpful segment. I just recognize that some of the things I had learned and heard and internalized were fear-based um, to sort of keep, you know, and I just think that's, I've learned, I think Elder Uchtdorf does the very best job of this is just try to take fear and put education and love mm-hmm. and the doctrine of Christ into these conversations and, and, you know, perfect love casteth out fear. And I think factual information like you're sharing about consent and that frame that up in a very simple, powerful way for me that no one's ever done that. Um, and I think then we don't add to your burden and make it harder for you to feel like you're welcome here when we compare something you can't control, mm-hmm. um, your sexual orientation to, to a mental, and I love the way you frame pedophilia as a mental illness or mental disorder. That is, there's a whole different category, but sometimes gets linked together mm-hmm. and just adds to your burden. Yeah. That's also has to do with a lot of like behaviors of um, being gay is not a sin. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that where people get mixed up and where there's a little more nuances, what you do about it. For me, it's getting married and some people can consider that a sin. Um, but murder, that is an action. <laughs> That's not just like a, an identity. Um, that's something that you do. And that's not the same at all as me just experiencing being gay. And a lot of my experiences are very wholesome and uplifting and inspiring. Um, one thing that maybe we can talk about is the phrase like, oh, as long as you don't act on it. And I think that's so dismissive of my experience because being gay has allowed me to be more compassionate and understanding and I can connect with other men in ways that I can't connect to other women Um, and even in ways that um, straight people can't connect to them because I understand being a man (laughs) more. (laughs) Um, And none of that has to do with any sex or sexual activity, um, but me acting on it, everything that I do is acting on it, who I interact with, how I interact with them, who I compliment, who I um, am able to like confide in and share um, like uh, information with and um, intimate details of my life with. That's all contingent on me being gay. And so I am acting on it. Um, so don't group it together as, oh, acting on it is just sex, because that's what they're talking about, as long as you don't have sex. Okay, well, what about dating? Is that also part of this acting on it? Getting to know someone, holding hands with them, cuddling with them? And I think that's also an interesting conversation because women are typically allowed to be more romantic with other women, and it's not seen as any sort of uh, taboo. Um, 
and yet men cannot be physically affectionate at all with one another. Um, but where's the, <laughs> where does that come from? It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it can be totally platonic, but it's not allowed in our society. Here's a question for you. Um, you know, you, you're 22, I think you said. 23. I keep getting that wrong. 23. And your plan is to marry a man. Um, let's go back to your pre-mission self and your pre-temple self. Mm-hmm. Would This is sort of, let's just say at 17 or 18, you knew you were going to marry a man and you knew that would happen at 26. Would you still go through the temple? And would you still serve a mission? Mm. I'd never thought about that before. I think where I am now, I would. I, I don't know. I wonder if at that time I would when I was younger. It just really depends on where I am in my journey because there have been times where I've wanted to leave the church and where I didn't feel accepted and where I was angry. There's been times where I didn't think I could do any of that and where I didn't want to be active, um, didn't want to believe in God. And so it has been a long journey of um, just trying to figure things out. And so at my (laughs) 17, 18 year old uh, time in my life, I don't know where I was at. That's honest. And you maybe get, it comes out of a, a couple of questions I got in the last couple of weeks of, and I think it's where more of our LGBTQ members are, are coming to terms with who they are in their teens, pre-mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and that internalized homophobia is they're able to get over that quicker. And, and the relationship I think with God helps them to feel at peace. And this is how God created me. So I should be comfortable with this because God loves us about me. And, so I've, I've gotten some questions from, I guess, more young men saying, um, I think I'll probably end up marrying a man, mm-hmm. but I'd actually like to go on a mission and I'd actually like to go to the temple. And am I going to be more damned for making those covenants, knowing that someday I may choose a different path? And my general feeling is don't not go to the temple because you might not, because that path may not work for you down the road. Mm-hmm or don't not serve a mission because someday you may be in a different spot. And I don't know how you feel about My feeling is I love to see people, if they can keep those covenants now and do the very best they can and feel like they'll continue to the best they can to keep covenants going forward. And their mission will be a foundational experience for them and to help them bring others unto Christ. Mm-hmm. My general advice is to go on a mission and go to the temple, even if yeah. they're not sure of their future. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so maybe to like rephrase your question, if I could go back in time with knowing who I am now to that time, I 100% would still go on a mission and still go through the temple um, with like my knowledge and where I am now in my journey because that is something that I value so much. Um, And I mean, I've made baptismal covenants And within the temple, you make five covenants. And with this, it's really only one covenant that is more nuanced and that I'm trying to figure out and that people might consider me breaking. There's four other covenants that I still hold very dear to me. And I plan on 
observing to the fullest. And so why would I throw out that whole experience um, just because there's one covenant that I'm having a hard time with? Um, That's a really thoughtful answer at 23. See, I got your age right finally. It took an hour (laughs) into this podcast, but I just love that. I love this non-binary thinking and this paradox and this gray area that you've worked your way into, and I think in a really thoughtful way. Um, I heard somebody else, and I think it was somebody else just talking and saying, keep, you know, if you feel your path is the same sex marriage, keep all the other covenants you can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no need to start, you know. If, Don't throw the whole thing out. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, I've never heard anybody say that. And it just resonated with me because I don't keep all my covenants. I, mean, <laughs> I I keep enough to be temple worthy and I keep enough to fully participate in the church, but I'm not perfect. And it's a lifelong process for me to continue to grow and, and overcome and learn and, and grow. And I think God gives me grace to do that. But let's extend the same grace to you. Your covenant you're not keeping is just more obvious. You're married. If this is the road you go down, it's sort of public. The mm-hmm. Amaria man, and we kind of know what that covenant is in the temple you're not keeping. But let's f- fill you with our love enough that you feel like we're supporting you enough that it makes it easier to keep all the rest of the covenants and to feel like you belong with us mm-hmm. and to feel like you still can contribute to us in your mind and your heart and your understanding of the gospel. Help us. Um, and we don't disqualify you just because of that. That's mm-hmm. my vision, listeners, is that we all come together. Elder Cook talks in the last conference about, you know, diversity and unity are not opposites. And there's a lot of diversity in the world, but let's at least come. We can be unified in our desire to come into Christ and help others come into Christ and honor people where they are and just accept where they are and love them. Love is a commandment. Mm-hmm. I'll turn it back to you for any closing thoughts. Yeah, Bradley. I wanted to make one last comment on something you said about me not having like this binary thinking and it's more gray area. One of my like favorite mantras that I've come up with, with color of the campus and being more present, I guess, in uh, these spaces is it's not black and white, it's rainbow. Um, I think that's a really beautiful imagery to me of it's not the, these two either or, um, and it's not even a gray area. It's a beautiful spectrum of color. Um, one day, maybe I'll write a book and that'll be the title <laughs> um, of my life. But there really is a lot more um, to life than just this binary thinking. And it's so easy for us to want to believe it's, it's binary because then we don't have to think. <laughs> then we don't have to be put in these uncomfortable situations. Um, but I found that even though it is uncomfortable and it is a little painful, um, life becomes more beautiful when you accept this rainbow of life. Um, and I, that's also in direct relation to the rainbow flag and LGBTQ. Um, but kind of a different perspective that I take on it. Bradley Talbot, um, appreciate you being on the co- podcast. You had a great heart, a great mind, a great feeling about our restored church and a great feeling about your future. And you've, I know before we went live, you talked about your parents and your family that you love. We haven't talked too much about them, but if they're listening, just know that, you know, Bradley's mentioned about 
both of you parents, how much he, you know, support he feels from you. What a good job you're doing. And um, thank our listeners. This is Bradley Talbot. I'm Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.